السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين ما بعد So we're on the, the final verse of uh, Surah Al-Nasr um, and for those folks online I have, uh, I have a monitor with me so I can see all of your comments and hopefully Naveed or someone will highlight any questions that come Can you highlight that or is Naveed going to do that? Someone will, someone will highlight something. Anyway, um, so we're on the final verse of Surah Al-Nasr, um, and, and this week, inshallah, we're going to go over like the technical tafsir of the verse, and primarily we're going to speak about the three concepts that Allah Azza wa mentions in this final verse. When Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "Fasabih bihamdi Rabbika wastaghfir innahu kana tawaba," glorify the praises of your Lord and seek His forgiveness, for He is indeed of the one who. who frequently accepts repentance. Those three concepts being the tasbih, the glorification of Allah Azza wa Jal, the hamd of Allah, which is the praise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and number three, istighfar, seeking forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But before we go on to that, this verse um, is, as Aisha radiallahu anha mentioned, and as we, we touched upon very briefly last week, uh, in the hadith in Sahih al-Bukhari, she said that when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam received the revelation of this surah, he applied this final verse into his ruku' and in his sujood by making it into a dua, Subhanakallahumma rabbana wa bihamdik, Allahumma ghfilli. And this is the dua that he would often read in his ruku' and in his sujood from the time that the surah was revealed until his passing, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And she said, Yata'awwal al-Qur'an. He is making a tafsir, an interpretation Ta'wil means an interpretation of the Qur'an. That hadith is in Al-Bukhari. In another narration in Sahih Muslim, also on the authority of Aisha, radiallahu anha, she said that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam would often say towards the end of his life, Subhanallah, Subhanallah wa bihamdih, Astaghfirullah wa atubu ilayh. And he, meaning the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, say, would say, Indeed, my Lord, inform me that I would see a sign in my ummah. And he commanded me that when I was to see this sign, I should glorify his praises and seek his forgiveness. And I saw that sign in this surah, and then he recited Surah Al-Nasr, and this is in Sahih Muslim. So Aisha radiallahu anha says that he would make ta'wil of the Qur'an. He's interpreting the Qur'an. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling him something, and he is interpreting that verse of the Qur'an. And ta'wil in the Arabic language has two meanings. The first of them is tafsir. Right, so tafsir, another word of tafsir is ta'wil. Right? And in classical works, sometimes the scholars of tafsir would call their books ta'wil al-Qur'an. Right? Ta'wil and tafsir are synonymous in this, in this regard. Interpretation, exegesis of the Qur'an. And that's also taken from the, from the dua of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam for Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah when he said for, uh, to him or for him, made the dua for him, Allahumma faqihhu fi deen wa'allimhu ta'wil. Oh Allah, give him understanding of the religion and teach him ta'wil. Ta'wil meaning tafsir. Right? Teach him tafsir. And that's why Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma would go on to become one of the greatest scholars of the tafsir of the Quran. But the word, the point here being that the word that Allah Azza wa Jalla is using, or the Prophet rather was using for the dua is ta'wil. Right? And, and both of these words uh, are mentioned in the Qur'an. The second meaning of ta'wil 
is um, its practical application, meaning that it's come to reality. It's come to be played out. And this is taken from the uh, end of, or the final passage of Surah Yusuf, where Yusuf السلام, when he's reunited with his parents and his family, he says to his father, هذا تأويل رؤياي من قبل قد جعلها ربي حقا He says to his father, this is the ta'wil of the dream that I had before my Lord has made it come true. Right? This is the ta'wil, meaning not just the interpretation, but it's practically played out. Why? Because he says this after Yaqub and his wife, Yusuf's mother, and their children, all of Yusuf's brothers, they come and they prostrate before Yusuf السلام, and that's the dream that he saw at the beginning of the surah as he mentions, I saw the sun and the moon and 11 stars prostrating before me. He says, This is the interpretation, meaning not just the, the theoretical interpretation, but the practical application. It's playing out before us. It's something which we can see happening. This is the interpretation of the Quran. So, Aisha radiallahu anha is saying something very similar. In this hadith that the Prophet وسلم, he's showing us the meaning of the verse, but he's doing it in a practical way as well. He's applying it in his salah, The tasbih and the istighfar, the majority of the scholars of tafsir, they said that they mean what they say apparently. When Allah commands the Prophet وسلم, to make tasbih, it means subhanallah. When he commands him to make istighfar, it means to say astaghfirullah. Right, that's the opinion of the majority of the scholars of tafsir. But Ibn Abbas has another opinion that is also attributed to him. And that is that he said, Tasbih refers to salah. Tasbih, the glorification of Allah, is referring to prayer, to salah. And istighfar, seeking Allah's forgiveness, refers to dhikr, refers to the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this opinion is of Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma. But as we said, the majority of the scholars of tafsir, they take each of those terms to its apparent meaning. Tasbih means subhanallah, istighfar means astaghfirullah. Al-Imam al-Shawkani rahimahullah in his tafsir, he says that Allah azza wa commands the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to make tasbih and to make hamd and to make istighfar. But why? Why does he ask the Prophet sallallahu to do it in this way? And why ask the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to do these particular things? And then he goes on to say that Imam, uh, Imam Shawkani goes on to say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling or informing the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and is drawing his attention to how amazing his life has been and how amazing his prophethood has been and the conveyance of his message towards the people. And that is because the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam begins and I'm obviously expanding on what Imam al-Shawkani is saying, but the Prophet begins with uh, a very, very few followers. And the Prophet is weak. And the Prophet doesn't have much wealth, doesn't have many followers, doesn't have an army, doesn't have many supporters, doesn't have the nobility and the ashraf of Quraysh, the noble people of Quraysh backing him, doesn't have a state behind him, doesn't have all of those things that we would associate with power. In fact, it is the opposite that is true. The Prophet ﷺ, his followers are very poor and they're weak and they're oppressed and they're ex-slaves and they're women and they're children and so on and so forth. But despite this, 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala helps him at every turn. Despite this, Allah azza wa gives him power. Despite this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala helps him to overpower those who had more wealth, had more followers, had more power. Yet despite all of those resources that they had, they were unable to withstand the might of Islam, the power of Islam, the honor of Islam. And so when you say subhanallah, subhanallah is used in a number of settings in Islam. One of them is when you see something that amazes you. And it is this meaning that Allah that Imam al-Shawkani rahimahullah says that the Prophet is being told to bring here. That he should be amazed at his situation. That the Muslims began with two, three, four, five, a handful of people. At the beginning of Islam, they would have to hide, meet in secret. They would have to go to Darul Arqam and meet in secret. They weren't allowed or they didn't have the confidence to meet openly. They would go and they would converge in secret meetings out of fear that the Quraysh would oppress them and torture them. And it is amazing how from those very few people, Islam grows and it spreads until by the time of the farewell Hajj and the conquest of Mecca, you have tens of thousands of Muslims. That is something to be amazed at. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala helped Islam at every turn. And the Prophet remember throughout this whole process, it's not easy, it's not just a holiday, it's not just plain sailing. He loses close family members, people like Khadija radiallahu anha. He loses all of his sons. Every son that was born to him passed away. And from the daughters that he had, two of them passed away during his lifetime radiallahu anhuma. He loses people that are close to him like Hamza, his uncle radiallahu anhu, and other companions that were friends of his, that were close to him, people that were early on in Islam. He loses people like his first cousin Ja'far radiallahu anhu. When the Prophet heard it, drew, drew him to tears. Because the Prophet never used to cry for every single companion that, that passed away. But he cried for some of them like Hamza. And he cried for Ja'far radiallahu anhu. And the narration says that he went to the house of Ja'far. And he took his children and he hugged them. And then he said to the companions, prepare food for the family of Ja'far. For indeed they have become preoccupied. So he loses people that are extremely close to him. And he himself is tortured and persecuted. He himself is injured and blood flows from his body, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. It's not an easy journey. But at every single one of those points, at every single turn, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always assists him. And every time it seems like the Quraysh are going to overpower him, they're going to have, you know, they're going to uh, overcome the Muslims, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always gives the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam a sign of hope, gives him a miracle. Whether it's the passing of Khadija and Abu Talib, and then the Prophet takes uh, the Prophet is taken on the night journey. Whether it's the Battle of Badr, whether it's you know the Battle of Hazab, whether it's the Treaty of Hudaybiyah or the conquest of Mecca, at every single turn, Allah Azza wa always brings some hope and some light that He gives to Islam and makes it stronger, go from strength to strength. And so the Prophet should be amazed by this journey, and the Muslims, the companions, should be amazed. By Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, his power and his kindness and his mercy, jalla fi ulah. And we as people who read these stories, learn about the seerah, read the Quran, learn its tafsir, we should be amazed about how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does this for the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And then we should be amazed at our own situation also. And that should draw us to say subhanallah every single time Allah azza wa assists us in a way that we don't expect. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala helps us with something and it's not something which we expect. It's not something which we you know, even uh, understand. It's not something which makes sense to us. But Allah Azza wa Jal 
does certain things and he puts certain things in place at certain times which if you were to look at them in isolation you would think okay it's no big deal but when you look back in hindsight over months or even years you see how Allah has planned things perfectly and that is from the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that is from the lutf of Allah the gentleness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah to the believers isn't just merciful is not just kind is not just generous but he is gentle he prods them and he turns them this way and that and you go down one path and it's it's blocked off so you go down the second path and it's open and Allah changes you and he turns you this way and that because he wants you to arrive at a certain destination and so you say subhanallah out of amazement and subhanallah the term subhanallah and we'll come on to this in more detail but the term subhanallah is to absolve Allah from every defect from every weakness and in the Quran it is often used subhanallah either in affirmation of something praiseworthy to Allah that, that befits Allah or to negate something that isn't befitting for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so the term subhanallah or subhana in the Quran is normally used either in affirmation of something that is befitting to Allah befits Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Allah is worthy of it or to negate something to deny to reject something from Allah that isn't befitting of him subhanahu wa ta'ala and then Imam al-Shawkani rahimahullah says and then when you understand this this term of subhanallah and why and how Allah planned so many things for the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam that he should be amazed with that he should be amazed at and that should draw him out to say subhanallah then he should also praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he should thank Allah for all of those blessings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to him and always in the Quran from the adab from the etiquette that we're given in the verses of the Quran in the stories of the Quran be it the stories of the prophets or the stories of our own prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam Allah always focuses on the positive never on the negative so the Prophet ﷺ goes through so many difficulties as we just mentioned right so many trials so many tribulations but what is the focus on the focus is always on the positive never on the negative because the negative is there to make you stronger to draw you closer to Allah to make you remember to make you sit up and almost shock your system so that you turn back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if you are from those blessed people that Allah has favored every calamity every every uh, trial every hardship every problem for the believer is a means it's a reminder that they need to turn back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so when it comes to praising Allah Allah focuses on the positives Allah focuses on the blessings Allah focuses on his on his favors and on his bounties subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam has many favors and many bounties despite his hardships and trials and difficulties Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has favored him above all of creation and all of the prophets and messengers and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has favored him in this life and he will favor him and honor him in the next life all of those are blessings because sometimes when you're going through hardship and calamity it's very difficult to look beyond the realms of that problem it's very difficult to take step take a step back and take an overview of the whole situation but often we become so bogged down with that one issue and the problems that it's causing and the hardships and they are real problems it's real hardship it's a real trial but the test of iman is always in these situations to be able to take a step back 
and to look at the bigger picture and to remember Allah's great favors and to understand that even that trial and that hardship is in and of itself a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the believers because as the Prophet said sallallahu alayhi wasallam, amazing is the affair of the believer all of his affairs are good if some happiness comes to them they praise Allah and it is better for them and if they if some hardship comes to them they're patient and that is better for them and that is only for the believer that mindset that outlook that way of thinking only belongs to a person who has true and strong iman in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so Allah Azza wa Jal tells the Prophet ﷺ to praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So his 23 odd years of prophethood, he's been told, look back at all of the favors of Allah Azza wa Jal. Everything that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to you, everything that Allah has favored you with, that has now allowed you to reach this position, where towards the end of your life, Islam has spread across the Arabian Peninsula. The people are entering into Islam in groups and in droves. And now it is time for you to prepare to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah Azza wa has promised the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam even greater blessings, even greater uh, rewards in the next life. Just as he has promised me and you, if we stand firm upon Iman, die upon Islam, die up with that sincere faith, you have the rewards of this life, but what waits for you in the Akhirah is better. It is more everlasting. It is greater than what Allah Azza wa Jal will give to you in this life. And then Imam al-Shawkani rahimahullah says, and finally the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam is told to make istighfar, to seek Allah's forgiveness. Because no matter how much the Prophet sallallahu was to have worshipped Allah, no matter how much ibadah he was to perform, he would never be able to reach that high level that Allah azza wa deserves. Never will his worship of Allah be equal to the blessings that Allah azza wa gave to him. Never will he be able to fully thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for all of his favors. And that's why, as we know, the famous hadith where the Prophet is praying and he has blisters on his feet and he's asked, O Messenger of Allah, why do you do this when Allah has forgiven all of your sins? And he says, Afala akunu abdan shakura. Should I not be a grateful, thankful slave to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? So he's understanding this point that he has to thank Allah Azza wa Jalla that despite his tahajjud, despite his charity, despite his fasting, despite his jihad, despite his teaching of knowledge, despite everything that he does, he still is unable to reach that level that Allah Azza wa deserves. And if that is the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, then what about us? What about me and you? When it comes to seeking Allah's forgiveness. And so the Prophet ﷺ, as we know in the narrations and we'll mention them later on, in one sitting, he would seek Allah's forgiveness 70 times in a single sitting. Say, Astaghfirullah, 70 times. Another narrations in a single day, he would say, Astaghfirullah, 100 times in a single day. All of this because he understands that he has not reached the level that Allah has deserved. Other scholars said that the istighfar or the seeking forgiveness of the Prophet ﷺ doesn't mean to seek Allah's forgiveness in the way that we do because we have sins. Whereas the Prophet ﷺ is free of sin. Allah has forgiven all of his sins. Rather for him the istighfar is just an act of worship. It's an act of worship that he's, that he's rewarded for but it's not necessarily him seeking forgiveness for his sins because Allah has already forgiven his sins. Yeah. The prophets of Allah don't commit any sins. But they can make human errors, human mistakes. I mean, so 
No. Allah, I don't know. I need to go back and look at that. So, so that's the second uh, opinion of some of the scholars of Tafsir, that the scholars of Tafsir said that the first one is therefore the Prophet makes istighfar like the rest of us. The second one is that for him it's an act of worship, but it's not necessarily seeking forgiveness for sins because Allah has already forgiven his sins. The third one is that his istighfar is to be a role model for us. So it's to show us how to make istighfar, right? Just as the Prophet in every act of worship that he performed, he is a role model for us to show us the way in which we should perform those acts of worship and istighfar was no different. And others said that it means salah, that the tasbih of the Prophet or his istighfar refers to his dhikr and refers to him offering prayers as was the opinion as we know that is mentioned on uh, uh, or is attributed to Ibn Abbas so Imam al-Hassan al-Basri, Qatada, Muqatil, many of the scholars of Tafsir, they said, and I think this is a point that we've mentioned before, that the Prophet sallallahu wasallam was given this surah, and then from that point onwards, he lived for approximately two years, give or take, and he was told to prepare for his death within those two, two years until he passed away, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So the three concepts that, we are, that, that Allah mentions, I want to look at them uh, in a closer context, uh, primarily from the Quranic viewpoint, how they're mentioned in the Quran, and then also, like obviously, from the Sunnah as well, uh, but primarily from the Quran. So the tasbih, which is to say Subhanallah, right? When Allah Azza wa says, "Fasabih bihamdi Rabbik," Fasabih refers to the tasbih, which means to say Subhanallah. This word or this concept of tasbih is mentioned more than eighty times in the Quran. More than 80 times in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to tasbih. And it's mentioned in various forms. It's mentioned, for example, as a command to praise, uh, to, to glorify Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, for example, Allah azza wa ta'ala says uh, in Surah Al Hazab, verses 41 and 42, O oh, you who believe, remember Allah abundantly. And glorify him in the morning and the evening. Glorify him is a command from Allah, right? To glorify Allah in the morning and in the evening. And sometimes in the Quran it's mentioned in the past tense. For example, in the first verse of Surah Al Hashar, Everything in the heavens and the earth has praised or glorified Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it's mentioned in the past tense. It's a question from Imaduddin online. Can he be seeking forgiveness for the Ummah since there seems to be no mention of who the istighfar is for? Yes, that's a good point. That's also one of the, um, one of the opinions mentioned by the scholars of Tafsir. That is istighfar, when the Prophet ﷺ used to make istighfar, wasn't for himself but for his Ummah. So he's seeking forgiveness for us, for his Ummah and for his nation. That's also something which is mentioned by some of the scholars of Tafsir and Allah knows best. So we have the command that Allah mentions, Sabbihuh. We have the past tense, which is Sabbaha. We have the present tense, which is mentioned, for example, in the first verse of Surah Jumu'ah, Yusabbihu lillahi. Right? Everything in the heavens and the earth praises Allah. So the previous one was praised Allah. This one is 
praises Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then it's mentioned also in the noun form. For example, in the final verses of Surah Safat, Subhana Rabbika Rabbil Izzati Amma Yasifun. Glory be to our to your Lord, the Lord of all power and honor and might, as to that which they describe ascribe to him. Right? So that is mentioned in the uh, in the mustar or in the noun form. There are eight surahs of the Quran that begin with the tasbih. Eight surahs of the Quran that begin with the tasbih. Seven of those eight begin with the actual word of tasbih, and in the eighth one, the tasbih is mentioned in the first verse, but it doesn't begin with the tasbih. So the first of them is Surah Al Isra. Surah Al Isra, Allah Azza wa says, Subhanallah. أَسْرَى بِعَبْدِهِ لَيْلًا مِنَ الْمَسْجِدِ الْحَرَامِ إِلَى الْمَسْجِدِ الْأَقْصَى الَّذِي بَارَقْنَا حَوْلَهِ Glory be to the one who took his servant on a night journey from al-masjid al-haram to al-masjid al-aqsa, the surroundings of which we have blessed. Right? So Allah Azza wa Jal praises him. And remember as we said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when he uses the word tasbih, it's always to affirm something that is praiseworthy, befitting for Allah, or to negate something that is not befitting to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not befitting for Allah azza wa jal. So in this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is glorifying himself for what? For one of the greatest miracles that is given to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. A miracle that no other Prophet of Allah received. Right? And so that is the night journey. So Allah azza wa jal is affirming his power subhanahu wa ta'ala in this verse. The second surah that begins with the tasbih is... Sorry? Surah Al-Hadid. Yeah, very good. سَبَّحَ لِلَّهِ مَا فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَهُوَ الْعَزِيزُ الْحَكِيمُ And very similar to it is Surah Al-Hashr and Surah Al-Saf. Surah Al-Hadid, Surah Hashr and Surah Al-Saf. There's a slight uh, difference in Surah Al-Hadid, but it is more or less the same beginning. And then you have Surah Al-Jumu'ah and Surah Al-Taghabun, which also begin very similarly, and they begin with the present form, the present tense form. يُسَبِّحُ لِلَّهِ Right? So the previous three was Sabbaha, and then you have Yusabbihu. Right? How many do you have in total? Six. Right? So Surah Al-Isra, Hadid, Hashar, Saf, Jumu'ah, and Taghab. Number seven is A'la. Right? A'la. Sabbihisma Rabbika Ala. Right? And that's obviously the most famous one. So which one is the eighth one? The one that doesn't begin with the Tasbih, but it's mentioned in the first verse. No, no, tasbih, tasbih, not hamd. Tasbih. No, no, the beginning of the surah. But the surah begins with it in the first verse, but it's not mentioned as the first word. All of these ones is mentioned as the first word, right? Sabbaha, subhana, yusabbihu, sabbihisma. But there is an eighth one where it's mentioned in the first verse, but it doesn't begin with. This is one of those trivia questions you ask for, like in you know, a pop quiz, if you ever do one. Anyone? Surah Al-Nahl, mashallah, very good. Surah Al-Nahl. Ata amrullahi fala tasta'jiluh subhanahu wa ta'ala amma yushrikun. The command of Allah Azza wa Jal has come, so do not hasten. Glory be to him, and high above is he. As from that which they ascribe to him, or they make associate, associate as in partnership in, in worship with him, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's mentioned in the first verse, it just doesn't begin with that. Some of the scholars said that the tasbih in the Quran 
if you look at it, it's always, or not always, but a number of them, like in 30 odd verses, so it's mentioned 80 odd times in the Quran, in 30 or 40 of those verses, it's mentioned either from the viewpoint of the angels, or from the viewpoint of the Prophet wasallam, or from the viewpoint of the other Prophets of Allah, or from the viewpoint of animals and inanimate objects, or from the viewpoint of the believers, or number six, from all of those people combined, all of those categories combined. Right? So the tasbih in the Quran, it is in 30 or 40 instances mentioned from the viewpoints of these different categories. So for example, the Prophet or rather the angels, Allah Azza wa mentions in Surah Al-Ghafir verse 7, Those who bear the thrones of Allah, meaning the angels that are the throne bearers, and those around them, they glorify the praises of their Lord and they believe in Him. And then Allah Azza wa goes on to mention, and they seek forgiveness for the believers. Right? And this is one verse in which the angels do all three things that the Prophet is commanded to do in the Quran. Tasbih, hamd, and istighfar. Allah Azza wa says, the angels, yusabbihuna bihamdi rabbihim. They glorify the praises of their Lord and they believe in Him. And they seek forgiveness for the believers. Right? So they do all three for the believers. Hamd. Right? Tasbih, hamd, and istighfar. So that's verse, uh, Surah Ghafir, verse 7. And then you have, for example, where Allah says in Surah Safat, وَإِنَّا لَنَحْنُ الصَّافُونَ وَإِنَّا لَنَحْنُ الْمُسَبِّحُونَ Verses 165-166 The angels say concerning themselves and we are the ones who line up in ranks. Right? The angels when they stand before Allah they stand in rows and ranks. And that's why the Prophet used to say concerning the prayer will you not stand as the angels stand before their Lord? Right? In rows and ranks. And they would say, O Messenger of Allah, and how do the angels stand in rows and ranks? And he would say, they stand in straight rows and they don't leave big gaps between them. And that's why the sunnah is, when you stand in salah, the sunnah is that the row is straight. Straight in the row, and you don't have wide gaps between you and the next person. Right? Whereas some, someone else or a child or anyone could come in between you and the person next to you. Right? That's how the, the, the angels stand before their Lord, subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَإِنَّا لَنَحْنُ الْمُسَبِّحُونَ And then they say, and we are the ones who glorify our Lord. Right? And if you think back to the story of the Qur'an, Adam السلام, the story of creation, when Allah tells them, إِنِّي جَاعِلٌ فِي الْأَرْضِ خَلِيفَةً I have placed an inheritor upon the earth, meaning I have created humans. What did they say? أَتَجْعَلُ فِيهَا مَنْ يُفْسِدُ فِيهَا وَيَسْفِكُ الدِّمَاءَ وَنَحْنُ Will you place upon earth one that causes evil and spills blood, whilst we, meaning the angels, glorify your praises? Right? This is one of the major or the main acts of worship that the angels perform. It's one of their main functions that they glorify Allah and they praise Allah and they spend their days and their nights in worship and obedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they are praising Allah Azza wa continuously and they're glorifying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continuously. So it's mentioned sometimes from the viewpoint of the angels and sometimes from the viewpoint of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. For example, 
when Allah Azza wa Jal says in Surah Al-Hijr, verses 98-99, towards the end of the surah, فَسَبِّحْ بِحَمْدِ رَبِّكُ وَكُمْ مِنَ السَّاجِدِينَ Glorify the praise of your Lord and be from those who prostrate. Right? Because in the previous verse, Allah Azza wa Jal says, and we know that that which they say, meaning the Quraysh, harms you, right? upsets you, grieves you. Meaning the Prophet, they used to call the Prophet crazy, magician, sorcerer, liar. And those terms used to hurt the Prophet So what does Allah say to him? Says to him, praise and glorify Allah and be from those people who make the sujood. Right? And obviously the last verse of Surah Al-Nasr that we're speaking is primarily a verse that is mentioned in the context of who? Of the Prophet then you have the context of other prophets from the viewpoint of other prophets. For example, in the story of Zakariya salam, that is in Surah Al Imran and then also in Surah Maryam, Allah says, bil wal ibkar, and glorify your Lord in the morning and the evening. Right? When Allah gives him the glad tidings of his son, Yahya, salam, Allah commands him to glorify his Lord in the morning and in the evening. And Yunus alayhi salam, likewise, Allah mentions in, um, in Surah Safat, Surah Yunus and Surah Yunus, in Surah Safat 144, 143, 144, when Yunus alayhi is swallowed in the belly of the whale, Allah says, and were it not that is being mentioned in all of these different contexts. Zakaria for a child. The Prophet وسلم, because of the stress and the harm that he's receiving from others. And now Yunus السلام, because he's being swallowed in the belly of the whale. Were it not that he were from amongst those who made the tasbih, he would have remained in its belly until the day of resurrection. To stay therein until Yawmul Qiyamah. Were it not for what? For him praising Allah and seeing the tasbih, saying Subhanallah. Which shows, and we'll mention in, in some of the hadith in the Sunnah, shows the, the weight of this simple, easy to say statement and how powerful it is in the scale of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then you have the viewpoint of the believers, what the believers say, and that's, you know, we've already given one example in Surah Al Ahzab, Musabbihuhu Bukratan wa Asila. Praise and glorify, or glorify Allah in the morning and in the evening, and then there are other, um, you know, there are other verses. For example, in Surah An-Nur, verses 36 and 37, in houses that Allah Azza wa has allowed that they be raised and that His name be mentioned therein. He is praised therein by morning and by evening. And this is the praise that is done by who in the masajid? It is done by the believers. And then we have from the viewpoint of the animals or inanimate objects, other creations. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Isra verse 44, the heavens, the seven heavens and the earth and everything within it, they glorify Allah. And there is not a single thing except that it glorifies its Lord, but you do not understand its glorification. 
right? And this is in Surah Al-Isra. And the scholars, Imam Al-Nawawi, Rahimahullah, and others from amongst the Salaf, they said that this is an actual tasbih. It's an actual glorification of Allah. It doesn't mean some other form of remembrance. It's not a metaphorical thing. It is these objects or these creations of Allah actually making tasbih of Allah in a way that Allah understands and has allowed them to do so. Be it animals, be it fish, be it birds, be it whatever it may be, be it mountains, right? Be it whatever it may be. Allah every single one of his creations glorifies Allah, but you do not understand and know the manner of their glorification. But this is something which Allah has mentioned in the Quran. And then you have a similar verse to it, which is mentioned in the context of the story of Dawood when he would recite the Psalms, Inna Sakharna al-Jibala Ma'ahu. And we made the mountains succumb to his recitation. They would glorify in the evening and in the morning. Right? So as Dawood is reciting, the mountains would recite with him or they would glorify Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with him in a manner that befits him. And then you have those generic verses like the beginning of Surah Saf, Surah Jumu'ah, Surah Hashar, where everything is included. Right? Everything in the heavens and the earth glorifies Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah azza wa in the Quran, as we said, whenever he mentions this term subhana, or the vast majority of times that he mentions this, it is always to affirm something which is praiseworthy to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or negate something which isn't befitting for Allah azza wa So often, for example, it's mentioned when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about verses in which he speaks about people ascribing to him partners, children, Partners, Allah Azza wa Jal often says, Subhana, right? Glory be to Allah Azza wa Jal, meaning free and removed is Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala from such things. Yeah. I think there were six angels, the Prophet, the other prophets, believers, animals, and then generic verses that include all of them. So, and I have like many, uh, many examples of this. Um, but likewise, Allah tells us that from the, um, from the dua of the people of Jannah, as they enter into Jannah, is that they will glorify Allah. Allah says, دَعْوَاهُمْ فِيهَا سُبْحَانَكَ اللَّهُمْ وَتَحِيَّتُهُمْ فِيهَا السلام. Their dua in Jannah will be, glory be to you, O Allah. And their greeting will be, the salam. وَآخِرُ دَعْوَاهُمْ And their final call will be, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Right. It's often in the Quran, Allah merges and he joins between the tasbih and the hamd. Right? Glorification and, and praise as we've seen in the last verse of Surah Al-Nasr as well. And then there are many hadith that speak about the virtues of the tasbih. Too many to recall here, but just by way of example, you have the hadith in Sahih Muslim in which the Prophet said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Ahabbul kalami ilallahi arba'a. Four things are the most beloved speech to Allah subhanallah alhamdulillah la ilaha illallah allahu akbar and likewise also in sahih muslim in the, in the hadith of abu dhar radiyallahu anhi was asked O messenger of allah what is the best of speech and he said that which allah gave to his angels and to his chosen slaves subhanallah wa bihamdih right? and then we have also the uh, final hadith of sahih bukhari the hadith of Abu Hulayr radiallahu an, two statements are extremely beloved to Allah, light upon the tongue, heavy upon the scales, subhanallah wa bihamdih, subhanallah al-azim. Right? And then you have the other hadith in which the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, whosoever says subhanallah wa bihamdih, 
a hundred times a day, Allah Azza wa Jal will forgive their sins even if they are many. Even if they are many in narration, he said, even if they are like the froth of the ocean. Even if they are like the froth of the ocean, simply by saying Subhanallah wa bihamdi. So as we said, the scholars Al-Imam Al-Nawawi, Ibn Al-Qayyim, Okay, so the general istighfar, uh, the brother is asking, is this just for minor sins, istighfar? Generally, the istighfar like this, that is generic, is for minor sins. The major sins require an actual act of tawbah. Right? They require a specific act of tawbah. Whereas the minor sins, there are many, and the general acts of, you make a general act of tawbah if you want to make tawbah for them, but to remember each and every single one of those minor sins is too much to recall. And sometimes it may be, you know, even um, not something that you intended, unintended, maybe something which you didn't really expect to do, but someone gets offended and so on. And so the istighfar is generic in that sense, where it's a general dhikr that you make. However, for the major sins, they require a specific act of tawbah. Right? But know that, as the Prophet ﷺ said, minor sins are extremely dangerous. Right? They're the ones that gather and gather and gather until like each one, and the Prophet ﷺ described them as twigs. That is, as individual twigs, they're nothing. But when they come together, they create a bonfire, right? When you bring them all together and you light them up, they create a great fire, and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. Is that a question here? Same question. Is that the same question? Okay. So, so Imam al-Nawawi, Ibn al-Qayyim, others, they say that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala therefore mentions the tasbih in the Qur'an, even when it's not for humans then it is still the tasbih that we understand the glorification of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying subhanallah it is a physical type of an actual type of tasbih rather than a metaphorical one and then we have the hamd right? the hamd in the Quran is also mentioned many many times many surahs begin with the hamd there are surahs that end with the hamd um, as well so for example surahs that begin with the hamd surah fatiha mashallah Surah Fatiha and Surah Kahf and Fatir, Surah Fatir and An'am and It's harder Saba, Surah Saba Right. So these are surahs that begin with the hamd. Right? Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Alhamdulillahi alladhi anzala ala abdihi al-kitab. Alhamdulillahi alladhi khalaqa al-samawati wal-ard. Waja'ala al-dhulumati wal-nur. All of these are surahs. Alhamdulillahi fatir al-samawati wal-ard. And often you find in the Quran when Allah Azza wa Jal mentions the hamd, the praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives the reason for praising him. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. All praise is due to Allah, Lord of all that exists. The reason for his praise is because he is Lord of all creation. Alhamdulillahi fatir samawati wal ard. All praise is due to Allah, the originator of the heavens and the earth. Alhamdulillah, alladhi khalaq samawati wal ard, wa ja'ala dhulumati wal nur. All praise is due to Allah who created the heavens and the earth and he placed therein day and night. Right? Or, for example, Allah Azza wa Jalla, Alhamdulillahi alladhi anzala ala abdihi al kitab. Our praises for Allah who revealed to his servant the book, meaning the Quran, and he didn't make it crooked. Right? So every single one of these are uh, not only verses of praise, but just like the tasbih was a verse in which Allah either negates or affirms something, the hamd, 
often or mostly always in the Quran comes with the reason for praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well um, as just rather than just a generic hamd Naveed is saying does the does the hundred times a day literally mean a hundred <laughs> or is it implying a great amount yeah that's true 70 but I've never heard that about a hundred so 70 and 7 and its derivatives in the Arabic language are known to mean to denote a great amount but 100 literally means 100 and Allah knows best right? so when the Prophet says do something 100 times it doesn't mean a great amount it means an actual amount like for example after Salah SubhanAllah 33 times Alhamdulillah that's an actual amount that's being referred to it's not just a generic number right? um, the only like exception to that would be like 7 and its derivatives but even that requires a delil right so, you know, the seven times around the Kaaba doesn't mean, oh, <laughs> just a great amount, right? Or seven times to Zafa and Marwa, or seven pebbles to the Jamarat. You know, you can't just extrapolate this stuff in that way. But that's a different discussion, Naveed. Okay, so. And then you have verses or, or surahs of the Quran that end with the Hamd. Right? So, which, which for example, which surah ends with the Hamd? Zumar. Very good. Does it? Yeah. Zumar and So وترى الملائكة حافين من حول العرش يسبحون بحمد ربهم وقضي بينهم بالحق وقيل الحمد لله رب العالمين So it ends with the praise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Surah Safat Subhana Rabbika Rabbil Izzati Amma Yasifun wa Salamun Al Mursaleen Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen and Okay, Nasr. But you can't lose Nasr because I mean, other than Nasr. Isra, وَقُلِ الْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ الَّذِي لَمْ يَتَّخِذْ وَلَدَ وَلَمْ يَكُلْ لَهُ شَرِيكٌ فِي الْمُلْكِ وَلَمْ يَكُلْ لَهُ وَلِيٌّ مِّنَ الذُّلِّ وَكَبِّرْهُ تَكْبِيرًا So there are surahs that begin with the Hamd, surahs which end with the Hamd. Right? And obviously as we said, each and every single one of those times, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He mentions the reason for the Hamd. Right? Reason for praise. So for example, sometimes it's because of Jannah. The people of Jannah will enter into Jannah and they will say, Alhamdulillahi alladhi hadana lihada wa ma kunna linahtadiya lawla an hadana Allah. Or praise is due to Allah who guided us to this and we will never have been guided to this were it not for the guidance of Allah Azza wa Right? So they're making the dua or they're saying hamd because it's the final thing they will say in Jannah as they enter into them. Their final call is all praise is due to Allah. Why are they praising Allah? because of his favor upon them in entering into Jannah, right? Or for example, it's mentioned as uh, the believers. They say, Allah says, call upon him, making this religion sincere to him. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. You praise Allah because he granted you sincerity. Or for example, it's mentioned in the context of, of, of prophets. Ibrahim salam said, Alhamdulillahi alladhi wahabali ala al-kibari Ismail wa ishaq. Or praises for Allah who granted me in old age Ismail and Ishaq. Right? So he's praising Allah Azza wa Jal for his children. So it's always mentioned in that context either for something as a um, you know as uh, as in relation to receiving a, a blessing from Allah Azza wa Jal, a favor, a bounty from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. See, I, I, I think it is mostly always. I don't want to say always because there may be a verse that I'm, I can't remember now. But from 
Um, from what I remember, there is always a reason. Unless someone can think of something. Yeah, I mean, no, but generally the verse of the Quran in which the Hamd is mentioned is not usually mentioned by itself. You don't just have Alhamdulillah, right? It's always Alhamdulillah something, right? Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen, Alhamdulillah Alladhi. It's always mentioned with something, right? That's what we mean. Like Tasbih is always mentioned in relation to people, for example, making shirk with Allah, claiming that Allah has children or something. It's always done either to negate something or in affirmation of something praiseworthy like the Isra. And the mi'raj, right? So it's always done in that context. Yeah? And likewise in Surah Al-Nasr, right? The tasbih and the hamd here are mentioned. Why? Because of the first two verses, everything that Allah has mentioned, this is the culmination of those blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay? So then in the sunnah, likewise, we have the hamd, the hadith in At-Tirmidhi and Ibn Majah, the hadith of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiyallahu an, which the Prophet said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, ana sayyidu waladi adam yawm al-qiyamah, wala fakhr. وبيدي لواء الحمد ولا فخر وما من نبي يومئذ آدم فمن سواه إلا تحت لوائي وأنا أول شافع وأول مشفع ولا فخر Prophet said I will be the lead of the children of Adam on the day of judgment without boasting and I will have the flag of hamd and this is the point of the hadith I will have the flag of praise and without boasting and there is not a single prophet from Adam and everyone who came after him except that he will be underneath my flag and I will be the first one to intercede and the first one whose intercession will be accepted. And then you have the famous hadith of uh, Abu Malik al-Ash'ari radiyallahu an in Sahih Muslim which the Prophet said, At-Tahuru shatru iman purification is half of faith and alhamdulillah fills the scale and subhanallah and alhamdulillah fill everything which is in between the heavens and the earth. Right? And then you have um, you know, other hadith as well. So just as the tasbih is done to when something amazes you, when you see something that you're, that you're impressed with, it is the sunnah to say subhanallah. The hamd is done in praise of Allah azawajal, when remembering Allah's blessings and Allah's favors. right? And that's why if someone asks you how things are, someone asks you how something is going, it is from good adab, even if everything is not perfect and everything isn't as good as you would hope it to be, to still say Alhamdulillah. And then, oh Alhamdulillah, and then you can, if you need to go into more detail, you can do so, right? Because that is the adab, the etiquette that Allah is mentioning in these surahs. Right? Allah is teaching the Prophet despite all of the hardships and the difficulties, what's he doing? He's still making hamd of Allah, praising Allah for all of his favors and blessings. So despite, you know, for example, your financial trouble, health issues, whatever it may be, but someone comes to you and asks you to praise Allah first and foremost. And then if you need to go into those details to do so, that is from the adam and the etiquette that we have with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Does this also um, apply to saying, to saying inshallah? You know, some people just say inshallah will come, but they're actually... Yes, yeah, so inshallah obviously is done is when you're expecting to do something in the future. But if you're referring to the inshallah, which isn't really an inshallah, it's just said as an inshallah because it's a get out clause from, from most things, that's probably something different. But like saying inshallah as in like it is the sunnah, and that's mentioned in Surah Kahf, don't, don't say, وَلَا تَقُولَنَّ لِشَيْءٍ إِنِّي فَاعِلٌ ذَلِكَ غَدَى إِلَّا إِنْ الله. Don't say about anything that you wish to do tomorrow except that you say inshallah, right? By the will and permission of Allah. Normally, you'd associate with 
Why the tasbih is mentioned before the hamd? Like even Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen, Tumakul Azmi, first surah the Quran starts to sign. Yeah. Is there a reason? Because normally when you change the order of something, there's a reason. But I think the Quran is always mentioned first. The tasbih, when they're mentioned together, I think tasbih always comes before hamd. In the Quran. I don't think the hamd ever comes before tasbih in the Quran. Um, I remember. Again, I stand to be corrected. I'm sure there's someone online that's going to like pause and say, you're wrong. Yeah, so the act of Tawbah is for a major sin is that you repent to Allah for that specific sin. So for example, someone drinks alcohol, someone commits theft, right? someone commits a major sin, and then they ask Allah to forgive them for that major sin. And you know the, the way in the Sunnah is that you make the you pray two rak'ahs and then you ask Allah Subhanahu wa Taala to forgive you for that sin. Right? That's what we mean by a specific act of tawbah for that sin. Right? And if that person, if your person repeats that sin, they go and repeat that act of tawbah. Right? And they continue to do so um, as long as it may need be. And then finally, we come into the istighfar. So we have the tasbih and we have the hamd and we then we have the istighfar and this is also mentioned in the Quran many many times um, and it's mentioned in again different like forms it's mentioned as istaghfir istaghfiru yastaghfiruna wastaghfir fastaghfir astaghfarta all of these are different verses or different ver- uh, ways in which the istighfar is mentioned in the Quran and I don't think um, you know we need to go through all of those examples um, and Imam Al-Qasimi, rahimahullah, in his tafsir, he says that Allah Azza wa Jal commands the Prophet Sallallahu to make the istighfar and then he reminds him that he is the one who often accepts repentance. And he says this as a reminder for us because life is full of trials. Life is full of hardships. Life is full of problems and difficulties. And within hardships and trials and difficulties, it is more likely that you sin and you make mistakes. So when a person is in, uh, you know, in times of ease and felicity and happiness and things are okay, it is sometimes easier not to fall into sin. But in times of hardship and difficulty and trial, that is when people are normally tested and that is when it is more likely for a person to fall into sin. Or it is often the case that people fall into sins and mistakes. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that the Prophet ﷺ went through hardships and difficulties and so on. But remember the Quran, even when it's mentioned in first context or in first person to the Prophet ﷺ, it is always, or mostly, not always, but mostly it is also then in, as a secondary level, if you like, it is mentioned for us, right? For me and you to take lessons and to derive lessons from it. So when we make mistakes in times of trial, in times of hardship, then we turn back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we make istighfar, right? And Allah in the Quran, there's two terms that are mentioned that are similar. One is afu and one is istighfar. Afu means to pardon, istighfar is forgiveness. The difference between the two, Ibn, Ibn Rajab rahimahullah, another scholars mentioned, al-afu, which is translated in English usually as, as pardoning, al-afu is when Allah removes the sin. Right, he removes the stain of that sin. But al-afu can come either before punishment or after punishment. So it can be before punishment that Allah forgives, and al-afu is that Allah wipes the state clean. 
Allah wipes the sin away. So you know sometimes when we like make a mistake to someone and you go up to them and you apologize and they're like, okay, fine, that's fine. You know, I've accepted your apology, it's okay. But then next week when you do something else wrong, they remember that one, right? They go, oh, but last week you did this. You're like, I already apologized. I thought we were okay. But then when there's another mistake made, all of the past mistakes come up again, right? They're resurrected, <laughs> they're, they're revived, and they're brought up, and you're reminded of them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't do this. When Allah azawajal forgives, Allah doesn't just forgive the sin, but He wipes the slate clean, meaning that it won't be held over you. Right? It's not something which you're then reminded of, that if you sin again, oh, that past one that you were forgiven for is now bought and it's multiplied and added and, you know, whatever, compounded. However, what Allah azawajal does is He removes. However, the afu, the afu of Allah azawajal, can either be with or without punishment. So either it can be before, or if Allah punishes someone, that punishment expiates the sin, and then no longer will that person be it's wiped clean. Because the punishment expiated for the sin, and it wipes it away clean. Whereas istighfar is Allah forgiving the sin without punishment. And that's why, right, mostly in the Sunnah and in the Quran, we're told to make istighfar, even though sometimes we are told to make, ask Allah for his pardon. Right? The most famous example being where? No, no. In the Sunnah? Yeah. In, in, yeah. Right? That's a dua of Afu. However, generally the Sunnah tells us and, and encourages us to make istighfar. Right? And that's the one that the vast majority of the Quran and the sunnah refer to, and that is asking Allah to forgive without punishment, right? with no punishment. That Allah forgives and He wipes the state clean without punishment. And that's why the Prophet told us, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, in the hadith Al Qudsi, that Allah says, O son of Adam, if your sins were to reach the, the heights of the heavens and then you were to come and make seek forgiveness of me, I would forgive you and I wouldn't care. Right? Allah is saying that He would forgive all of those sins. And Ibn Umar radiallahu anhu, this is what we mentioned before the hadith of Ibn Umar, that we would sit with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and we would count him saying, Rabbi ghfirli, O oh Allah forgive me, and he would reach a hundred. And the hadith of Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu, that's in Al-Bukhari, that the Prophet would say, or make the istighfar 70 times a day, or he would say in a single sitting, Astaghfirullah, 70 times. Right, and as we obviously know, the istighfar, and these terms, Allah Azza wa wants us to, to make them, right? Making the tasbih of Allah, praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, making istighfar of Allah Azza wa Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to make them, but especially the istighfar, because the Prophet told us sallallahu alayhi wasallam that if you were a people who never sinned, Allah Azza wa would remove you and he would bring another creation that would sin so that they would seek forgiveness from Allah and he could forgive them. And Allah loves to forgive. Right? Allah Azza wa loves to forgive because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as Allah says at the end of this surah innahu kana tawwaba he is the one who often gives repentance who often accepts repentance right and ibn qayyim rahimahullah and we'll finish with this ibn qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala said you find that Allah has made the istighfar a sunnah after many acts of worship many major acts of worship so for example after wudu we say from the dua allahumma ja'alni minat tawwabin Oh Allah, make us from amongst those who make tawbah frequently. After the salah, the Prophet would say what three times? Astaghfirullah, Astaghfirullah, Astaghfirullah. 
right? And then you have, for example, after Hajj, where Allah Azza wa Jal tells us after Hajj to seek forgiveness from Allah Azza wa Jal. Uh, meaning after the day of Arafah, then go where the people go and make istighfar of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So many major acts of worship, they finish with the istighfar. Because as, as we know as Muslims, even in our acts of worship, we make mistakes. Right? And they're not to the level that they should be. They're not in the manner that Allah deserves. So when those acts of worship then have deficiencies, weakness, momentary lapses of concentration, one of the ways that we fill up those gaps and fill in those errors is by making istighfar of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and asking Allah's forgiveness. And therefore, Ibn Qayyim says, just as the major acts of worship finish with istighfar, the Prophet is telling, is being told to finish his life also with the istighfar of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I think that that is a nice note to finish the tafsir of this surah upon. And we ask Allah Azza wa Jal to accept from us. And inshallah, next week, we're back at the same time, 7.30 for those of you praying here, Isha, 8 o'clock online. And we begin with Surah Al-Kafirun, bi-idhnillahi ta'ala. Any questions? Imaduddin says, you said that the prophets don't commit sins, but I vaguely remember a verse that goes something like, what's that about? So like I said, I think I need to, to go back and look at that issue of uh, the prophets, can they make minor sins or not? I, I, I think I need to go back and look at that again. But either way, the verse in the Quran, the Prophet used to make istighfar, right? And we gave the different interpretations of what the scholars said. The istighfar of the Prophet refers to is it an actual istighfar? Is it just an ibadah that doesn't mean he's seeking forgiveness in the way that we would seek forgiveness because Allah has forgiven him? Is it something that is a role model showing others? Or is it, um, what's the one that we said? Tasbih. Or is it Salah? There was another one. Yeah, for istighfar. But anyway. Sorry? Dhikr, no, there was another one as well. Uh, oh, oh, that is making istighfar for us. Right, that is making istighfar for his ummah. Um, all of these are like interpretations that the scholars gave. And Allah knows best. So, always the, the, the asking that is how that maghfira can refer to a sin being concealed but not being forgiven. Yeah. So, maghfira is like a sin that's concealed but not necessarily forgiven, and then it may be forgiven in the akhirah, is that what you said? So, we know, I mean, generally from the Sunnah, you know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives sins in different ways, right? And if Allah Azawajal conceals someone's sins in this life, then inshallah that's a good sign that Allah Azawajal will forgive them. That's mentioned in the hadith, right? That just as I covered your sins in the dunya, I will forgive you for them on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, right? I think that's mentioned in the wording of a hadith. But whether maghfira, from what I know, the general uh, meaning of istighfar is Allah's forgiveness. Allah's forgiveness. It doesn't mean that Allah Azawajal uh, only 
conceals without forgiving. That's not the, the primary meaning of istighfar. It could be, in some cases, that it's a type of maghfirah, that Allah Azza wa conceals certain sins and then He forgives him in the next life, subhanahu wa ta'ala. But I don't think that's the primary meaning of maghfirah, and Allah knows best. What's going on here, man? What does the hadith mean where the Prophet has the flag of Hamd? That he will have on Yawm Al-Qiyamah a flag of praise that Allah Azza wa Jal, because we know that Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala will resurrect him on Al-Maqam Al-Mahmud. Right? He will have the praiseworthy station that no one else will be given except our Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam and he will be the one who will intercede before Allah Azza wa Jal, and he will be the one. There are many virtues that he will be given. From those virtues is that he will have a flag meaning that he will be the one that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chooses as the leader of mankind and that and everyone else from the believers, the prophets and so on will be uh, behind him and will be beneath his flag. So it means asking if someone uh, wrongs someone else, is it enough to seek forgiveness just from Allah or do you have to seek forgiveness from them? The general rule is that you have to seek forgiveness from them as well. If it's a right that you've taken from someone or somehow oppressed someone else, that you seek their forgiveness as well. Unless, like you think that it's something which would make things much worse. In which case, some of the scholars said that instead you, you correct that sin. So for example, if, if it's backbiting, you go back to those same people and you praise that person. If, for example, it's something that you took from them, you know, maybe like uh, unjustly and you think that if they knew or you went to apologize to them, it may cause things to be much worse, you give it that amount of sadaqah or something like that in its place. But the general rule is that you would go back and you would seek their forgiveness and you would apologize to them sincerely. And, you know, they would accept that apology hoping for the forgiveness of Allah Azza wa Jalla as well. So the general ones that are mentioned in the Sunnah, um, Allahumma ghfilli, Rabbi ghfilli, Astaghfirullah, all of these are mentioned in the Sunnah. Okay, Barakallahu feekum, Jazakum Allah khair, inshaAllah, next week. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.